text this morning comes from the, uh, the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul, when he writes these letters, starts off with theology. He talks to people about God, uh, doctrine, issues, but at the end of the letters, he almost always gives practical advice. Because remember, these were young churches. It was new to be a Christian community, and many people didn't quite know what to do, so he gives them advice at the end of his letters as to how to be the church. And so here's the advice that he gives to the Ephesians. Therefore, putting away falsehood, let everyone speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may be able to give to those in need. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for edifying, as fits the occasion, that it may impart grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And from the first letter of Peter comes a wonderful reminder of who you are as an individual and who we are together as a church. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were no people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. <clears throat> William Willimon reminded me of the famous quote of Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde said that the worst advice you could offer anybody is just be yourself. I mean, really, who wants nothing more to guide us in life than ourselves? Remember the roly-poly bear in the movie The Jungle Book? He sings the song that says, all you gotta do is act naturally. Really? Is that all? I mean, do what we need something else to guide ourselves with? But curiously enough, that is the theme of this sermon. Just be yourself. Let me explain a little bit. I don't really enjoy telling you to just be yourself because, well, I'm a preacher. And my job is to tell you what God wants you to do and be and not do and be. And, and frankly, if it's just be yourself, then I'm out of a job. And so I don't like that. But um, preaching has come to be seen uh, in, in a weird way. Um, if somebody says to you, hey, don't preach to me, is that a positive or a negative thing? It's not positive, is it? Preaching has come to be known as scolding, belittling, berating. That's what people have come to expect of their preachers. I remember once... Uh, 
long time ago at one of my first churches, a man, I asked a guy what he, his critique of my sermons was, and he said, well, you know, you don't step on our toes enough. He said, you're the preacher. You're supposed to tell us where we've gone wrong and tell us what we need to do to get it right. He was one of those people that come to church for a weekly scolding. And he just didn't feel comfortable and didn't get it. He needed to be reminded to stop smoking and be faithful to your marriage vows. Don't cheat on your income tax. Be nice to your children. Don't swear. Don't get angry. Love everybody and volunteer to teach Sunday school. All of those things. All of those things. I remember uh, I was in the church in Southern California and my colleague, Chuck Shields, his dad came to visit one day. And uh, he went to the contemporary service, which was this big, joyous kind of a band and a lot of clapping, a lot of laughing. Uh, and afterwards, Chuck asked his dad what he thought of the worship service. And he said, well, I, I sure enjoyed it, but I don't know if it's right to enjoy church. I was always taught that when you leave church, you should feel like you've done something you ought to do. It should hurt a little bit. Well, that's how some people think. Some people think that you come to church to be told what to do so that then you can become a good Christian. That's, that's not how it is. It's the, the idea, the general knowledge is that you have to try really hard to act like a Christian so that you can be a Christian. In fact, most people think that's the purpose of sermons, to give you instruction on how you're supposed to straighten up and fly right so that you can be good Christians. The trouble with that is it's backwards. It's the opposite of what Paul says in our text today. In the passage to Ephesians, he urges readers to do a lot of good things. He gives you a lot of good advice, doesn't he? You know, be angry, but don't sin. Don't make room for the devil. If you're a thief, you've got to get another job. Um, put away bitterness, wrath, anger, slander. All of that. Do this, don't do that, all that kind of stuff. But the thing is, that when you take a closer look, Paul doesn't tell the Ephesians to do these things in order to be Christians. He tells them to do these things because they are Christians. There's a difference. Paul urges them to do good things not to become Christian, but because they are Christians. He doesn't say to them, you pagans ought to do these things so that you can be good enough for God. Paul says, do these good things because God has already made you good. The text doesn't say you should act like somebody. It says you are somebody, so act like it. No wonder people act irresponsibly, immaturely, and worthlessly. How many times in sermons have they been told that they are irresponsible, immature, and worthless? Our text says it differently. It says you people are somebody. You're the ones God loved. You're the ones for whom Christ died. You're not homeless, unloved, wayward nobodies. You're nothing other than royalty. Jesus is your brother. God is your father. You're part of the royal family. Now act like it. Act like it. I wish I could remember that myself every day. I wish I could convey that to my children, my friends, my associates. Because, alas, I usually get it backwards, implying that somehow they have to make the grade with me and God, rather than announcing to them that they have already made the grade 
The rest is simply response to what they already are. When a parent sits the son down and says, you need to make something of yourself, the parent implies the son is not worth much in his present state. Another way is to sit the boy down and tell him that you believe in him, you love him, you have high hopes for him, and you know that he's capable of the best. That second way is more like the way of this text in Ephesians. It's hard to be a a disciple, a Christian. It's hard to do all the right things. because Not because we're nobodies trying to be somebodies. It's difficult to be a king and a queen. To see yourself as God's royal children. And trying, as all good children do, to imitate the Father. Did you hear that outrageous call? that Paul has in the text that we read. I mean, not only does he say that we're supposed to do all these things, speak the truth, but don't be angry, give up stealing, no evil talk, put away bitterness, wrath, anger, wrangling, not only all that stuff, but he says, be imitators of God. Is that crazy or what? God is perfect. How do we imitate God? It would be impossible if it were not for the forgiveness, the love, and the grace that God has already given to us through baptism, that we are now the loved, forgiven, grace children of God. And so because we have experienced that from God, then we can give it to other people. In a world of hate, we're able to love because we have been loved by God. In a world of war, we're able to be at peace because God has made peace with us. We can forgive ourselves and others because we know that we have been forgiven. So there's my word for you this day from Ephesians. Just be yourself. Be who God has already made you to be. Live into that. Not so that you can be a Christian, because you are a Christian already. As chapter 5 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, fragrant offering, and a sacrifice to God. Can you imagine how much better the world would be if we saw each other as created in the image of God? The Bible says that you and I, every person, is created in the image of God, that we are a member of the royal family. John Westerhoff, theologian, used to say that when we walk down the street and we see another person coming toward us, that we should imagine every person is preceded by angels with trumpets and they are shouting, make way for the image of God. Make way for the image of God. Try that next time you're in Safeway. Somebody's coming down with a big cart, you know, they're blocking your way. It's a crowded Saturday. Just imagine that cart is preceded by angels shouting, Make way for the groceries being purchased by the enemy of God, the the friend of God, the royalty of God. Make sure the image of God is announced. C.S. Lewis wrote a little sermon that became one of the most famous sermons in the world. Uh, It's called The Weight of Glory. It was put into a little book. He preached in Oxford at St. Mary's Church during World War II. And um, he talks about this importance of understanding uh, the, the transcendent weight and glory of human beings. He said this, 
There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This doesn't mean that we had to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be that of the kind which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Your neighbor is the holiest object that you encounter. You're a royal priesthood. You forgot that when you came and plopped yourself down in the pews this morning, didn't you? Maybe it's time to turn to the person next to you and say, Good morning, Your Majesty. And to respond, Good morning, Your Highness. Let's try that, okay? Go ahead, you know. Announce the royalty that you are among right now. Will Willimon tells a story about uh, he got invited to the birthday party of his friend's son, Clayton. Clayton's four years old, and his mom says, what kind of birthday party do you want to have? And he says, I want to have a birthday party where everyone is either a king or a queen. So his mom went to work. She made cardboard crowns and painted them gold. She made blue crepe gowns with gold lining. And she made scepters out of the tubes of wrapping paper. So that when every person came to the party, they were given a crown and a robe and a scepter. And they had a great time. They enjoyed cake and ice cream. They had a majestic procession to the end of the block and back to show off their finery. They all looked like kings and queens and believed they were kings and queens. And they even acted like kings and queens. They all behaved in the most regal manner. And that night when everyone had gone home and mom was tucking Clayton into bed, he said, you know, mom, I wish everybody in the whole world just on my birthday, but every day. Well, folks, something like that happened 2,000 years ago. We, we became kings and queens. We became part of the royal family at a place called Calvary. We who were nobodies became somebody. We who were outsiders, aliens to the promise of God, were adopted into the family were made part of the royalty. And you know, if we could believe that, if we could remember that and believe that, and start acting like that, well, as the old song says, what a wonderful world that would be. In the movie Cider House Rules, Michael Caine, the actor, plays a character named Dr. Wilbur Larsh, who runs an orphanage in the state of Maine. And every night, as he puts those orphan boys to sleep, before he turns off the light, he says to them, Good night, you princes of Maine. Good night, you kings of New England. Good night. So forth, so today, as we go forth from this place, having been at the table of the Lord, 
Remember that you go forth as princes of Piedmont and queens of California.